he was like, congratulations, my friend, you know, you made, you're a part of the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, it was one of those things where the room started to like spin. I had to sit down. It was, Holy it was pretty, shit. it was, it was pretty special because I did not think it was possible. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Basketball Strong Podcast. I'm Tim DeFrancesco, former LA Lakers strength and conditioning coach and doctor of physical therapy, and I'm here with my co-host, Emmy-nominated writer and author, Phil White. This podcast is not just for basketball junkies. It's for anyone who loves to hear the human stories behind great people while learning the science behind preparing your body for the court and high performance. Today's guest is TJ McConnell. Back in episode 70, president of player performance for the LA Clippers, Todd Wright, told an underdog story about how TJ made the roster of the Philadelphia 76ers despite injury and setback. And from that moment, I knew we had to get TJ on the show. Well, we got him and he did not disappoint. TJ shares his entire journey of how he went from being an undersized player in high school who only got one single scholarship offer to then leading the Arizona Wildcats to the Elite Eight and then moving on from there to making the Philadelphia 76ers even though he himself did not even know if it would be possible. Be sure to stay until the 52-minute mark. That's where TJ shares the story about what led to the mantra that he built his entire career on and lives by to this day. You don't just push the door of opportunity in. You kick the MFR in. Let's get into the conversation. TJ, I want to figure out throughout this conversation how a six-foot-one, somewhat athletic, Dude like you makes a seven year and counting seven to eight year and counting mainstay career in the NBA. But before we get to that, I am dying to know where you and the game collided when that was early on and, and, and start us from the start. Yeah. So my dad, um, you know, he's been a high school basketball coach for 31 years now. And ever since I could walk and ever since I could, you know, even remember anything, um, I've had a basketball in my hands and I just remember always being at his practices and, um, just being in the gym with him and falling in love with the game. And I owe everything that I have to him. I, I mean, he instilled the love in the game, the love of the game in me and the work ethic that I have today. So, uh, shout out to my dad. Yeah. So that was, that was early and and often. Do you think back to, is there a a moment in time where you think back to that's one of your, your earliest kind of basketball on court moments and, and you can just feel it, smell it, hear it and, and think back to a moment of that. For sure. I mean, I've been to so many of his practices and just, you know, just wanted to be a part of the team His his teams when I was little, it's, something that I will remember forever. And, um, you know, he's still coaching, but not, not at my high school anymore. Mm. Um, but just, you know, the memories that I have of going to his games, you know, like you said, the smell of, of the, of the gym and and the popcorn and, and, you know, the, just the game day type setting. I, I fell in love with that at a young age. Incredible. And it would be fair to say that your dad's not the only basketball figure in your family. I believe your your aunt Susie is a two-time Olympian, a former WNBA coach of the year, and you have another 
aunt and uncle who have coaching experience all the way from high school to college level and beyond. So what what does a watch party look like at the <laughs> at your household growing up? Yeah, I mean it's we're not watching a whole lot of football, I'll tell you that much. It's <laughs> it, it, it's a lot of basketball and you know it's the McConnells in Pittsburgh, you just when you hear the name, it's synonymous with basketball. So um you know, I, I remember also, you know, my aunt played in the WNBA as long uh, as well as coached in it. And I remember going to her games. She coached in high school around the area, um, you know, and that's what brought me and my her son, um, who's my cousin, very, very close together going to those games. So pretty much anything I was doing, it was it was basketball, you know, whether it be with my dad, my aunt, uncles, cousins. It's it's just I've grown up around the game. So full immersion into the game from as early as you can remember. Was there any part of that that was a, a certain amount of pressure as you're upcoming and it's sort of expected, as you said, the name McConnell and that area was just, this is what we do and we do it at a super high level. And is there any pressure that you had to kind of grapple with at times as, as you sort of figure out where your foothold goes in that legendary lineage? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily consider it pressure. I think my dad held me to a higher standard and mm. wanted me to be really good. So mm. um, he, you know, when I would make mistakes, he would be tough on me and tougher than he'd be tougher on me than any of the other players. You know, kind of set of set an example and just want me to be great. And but you know, I don't think the pressure really came till about high school. But it, it wasn't. It wasn't you know, too, too much. I kind of just, you know, kind of looked at it head on and, and, and just attacked it and, um, never really felt, you know, it was, you know, overwhelming pressure though. Yeah. I'm always curious about that where parent, uh, in this case, father, son, and, and father is coach of son and, and there's a love from both sides and, and a passion for the game from both sides. Is there, was there a discussion of, Hey, look, TJ, I'm going to, I am going to coach you harder than the rest of them. So get used to it and be ready for it. Or was that just sort of, this is, you figured it out and you, you, you took it as it came. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it was the known really. Yeah. Um, he coached me so hard growing up that like I was already used to it, but he, I think when I, he was actually coaching me in high school, he wanted to set an example for me that just because you're my son, you're not, you know, you make a mistake or, or whatnot. I'm going to be 10 times harder on you just to show players and everything that there's no preferential treatment. And, 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 and I, I was used to that. He coached me like that his entire life, my entire life. And, um, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Is there a story? Is there a moment that, that you could share that, that, uh, is okay for the airwaves? Honestly, uh, there, it, if we had three hours to talk about it, there, <laughs> there, there are so many. Um, I mean, it's just, he's typical old school coach, like get in your face, like, like just like de pretty much demands perfection from me. Um, you know, I don't really have a, a moment that sticks out because there's so many, I mean, he's just, he was in my face, letting me know about it. Um, yeah. telling, telling me, 
you know, quit the sport, quit the sport. And it's just like, (laughs) and I I knew it, and I knew it, it came from a good place to kind of fire me up because every time he did that, it brought out the best in me. And it was, it was incredible. Wow. Um, was this something that you then passed on to your brother and sister? Because I, I read a story where it was from a couple of years ago, um, before before your sister even got to the college level, where she credited you as kind of toughening her up and toughening your brother Maddie up as well. So I know there was a bit of an age difference from from top to bottom there, but uh, what did those shooting contests and eventually those one on ones or two on ones in the backyard look like? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, I'm, I'm such a competitor. My brother is such a competitor and so is my sister. So we all try to win and I didn't really care about the age difference. I was showing no mercy, whether it be a shooting contest or one-on-one. And I did everything I could to make sure that I win, whether that brought my brother and sister to tears, it didn't matter as long as I won. That was, that was what they were going to get. At least you were consistent, right? (laughs) No doubt. And I, I mean, you know, looking back, I do feel bad, but I feel like the, you know, the time we spent playing against each other and, and, and the competition, um, you know, I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. What did they give to you along the way in those battles? What did, what did you take from them? I mean, I just immediately saw their love for the game as Mm. well. When I'm, when I'm playing against them, it kind of took me back to my childhood growing up and, and, being around my dad's players and, and loving the game and always wanting to be a part of the older group playing. Um, so the fact that they wanted to do that and push themselves to that level, I knew they were going to be good players. You mentioned high school where maybe things got real, sounded like some sort of beyond just this is this is amazing game. And yeah, my dad coaches me hard, but this is now there's levels to this and I'm looking at the next level. Take us into what that looked like and felt like and and what those high school days were and where your mindset was at that time of where you wanted to go in the game. Yeah, I mean, I was maybe I'm not, I'm not exaggerating five foot five, my freshman year of high school, 115 pounds. So, um, playing in college, like was a dream of mine, especially division one. And, um, you know, I didn't know if it would be possible. I knew I would work hard and I, I had the talent, but I didn't have the body type. And, Mm. um, I'm forever grateful. Um, you know, I finished my career at Arizona, but I'm forever grateful for, um, Duquesne university, they offered me a scholarship my sophomore year of college. And I had zero offers prior to that. Um, and zero offers after that. And, um, I just appreciate them and coach Ron Everhart seeing the value in me and offering me that scholarship. And, you know, I didn't think I was going to get any bigger. I, I was probably five, six, my sophomore year. And, didn't weigh much more and um he took a chance on me and i am forever grateful for that wow now going into your senior year obviously grown a little bit and really blossomed offensively and some of the defensive traits that we can now see you exhibit in the nba but um you know from averaging i think over 34 points a game going to duquesne did you start to think okay i'm gonna have to adapt my game a little bit maybe play the point a little bit more what was that transition like for you? Yeah, I knew that at my size at the college level, you know, the NBA was, was very far away in, in my eyes. Um, 
And I knew that, you know, I wasn't going to be a shooting guard in college. I was too small. And um, so I tried to just change, start to change my game a little bit and be a distributor and, and shoot when I'm open and be a pest on defense. And that's I kind of what I tip my hat on um, to this day. And speaking of playing the point, um, was the fact that Coach Sean Miller at Arizona that was, you know, a former point guard himself from your area, um, was both that local connection and just his his mentality, the fact that he had played the point himself, did that really sway you toward Arizona against maybe some of the other schools that you were thinking about transferring to? Yeah, I mean, it it just made total sense. The, the Their style of play, the players that they had coming in, um, obviously there's that Pittsburgh connection, but yeah, I mean, he played point guard at a high level at the university of Pittsburgh and, um, mine and his relationship to this day is, is pretty much family. And, um, like I said, uh, you know, I'm grateful for Duquesne and coach Everhart, but at the same time, I'm very grateful, very, very grateful for, um, Sean Miller and the university of Arizona. Was that, was that hard then to, make that decision that was the right decision for you personally, but that you, even at the time, it sounds like had great awareness that Duquesne and, and coach Everhart had given you your shot. Was that a hard decision, a tough moment? I think it was to, one to of make the, most, the transfer. Yeah. I mean, I think it was one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made in my life um, mm. to kind of sit there and, and tell coach Everhart that I'm transferring. Um, mm it was, you know, it was one of those moments that I still think about and it just makes me uncomfortable to feel about because coach Everhart is a great guy and a great coach. And I, and I loved playing for him, but I kind of just wanted to try to, to, you know, test my talents at a higher level. And, um, you know, I hope that that doesn't sound bad, but just kind of wanted to challenge myself. And, um, I will always have nothing but love and respect for coach Everhart. Yeah. Yeah. That had to be challenging to kind of pay respect to the person that gave you the shot and, and yet also scratch the itch to level up. And, and what was that like when you stepped on the court at Arizona at now? Yes. A, a division, also a division one level, but a, a different division one level. What was that a, a seamless, easy transition? The second you stepped foot there, what was that like? No, uh, but I will say that you know, it made me work 10 times harder. Um, mm. It was one of those things where I kind of, I said, okay, I'm going to, you know, a different level um, playing wise. And I have this paranoia about myself where, you know, I'm going to another level. I have to work 10 times harder. And the thing that I feel like is gets lost in translation is the, the year I redshirted because of the transfer rule it was so beneficial for me to be able to get acclimated to the school. I've never been out of the city of Pittsburgh in my life. Um, and I was in Arizona for three years. So to get acclimated with the school, just yeah. classes and especially get stronger in the weight room. It's faster, faster game in the pac 12. You know, the guys are bigger, stronger, faster. Um, and just to get acclimated with the, with the, the playbook and, uh, in the fan base and and, and everything, the, the red shirt year was super beneficial for me. Hmm. Was that, I mean, were you a 
certainly a gym rap. Were you a weight room rap before that, but then you just knew you had to go be there more for that? Or was that sort of one of the first times it clicked for you that for this next level, the physical side had to be even, even further ratcheted? No, I, I mean, I lifted at Duquesne, but like, yeah. I knew, I knew that I had to take it to another level in the weight room and, you know, get better with my body fat. You know, I had no idea. I mean, we did body fat at Duquesne, but you know, I, I took it to another level at Arizona where, you know, I was super diligent about what I was trying to eat and, and, and spent a ton of time in the weight room, um, you know, every day and, and, and doing, and doing workouts in the gym. It was, um, it was grueling, but it, it was, like I said, so beneficial. How'd your dad coach you from afar now at that point? How, how did, how, how was that relationship and how did that evolve as you now were under his thumb necessarily on the, on his court? Yeah. One thing that like, I really love and respect about my dad is once I stopped playing for him, he stopped being my coach and became my dad. You wow. know, he was, he was never like, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And, and give me pressure. He's, good luck tonight, you know, go get him like all this stuff and talk to me after the games was never like, you should have done this. He's just always proud. And that's one thing that I truly love and respect is, you know, he took that coach hat off as soon as he was done coaching me. And it was, it, it was coaching dad when I was playing for him, but it was strictly dad after that. Amazing. I just got goosebumps with that. And that squad that you were on was uh, pretty talented, to uh, to put it mildly. I mean, obviously Aaron Gordon's name stands out, but he wasn't the only one that, that went on to play in the league. So what was it like to, to be on that team? And what are maybe some of the – maybe a couple of the players that took you under their wing a little bit? Yeah, I played with um, Nick Johnson, who immediately took me under his wing. Um, and, you know, he's an incredible player. Um, I, I played with amazing players. I mean, the list goes on Caleb Tarzuski, Nick Johnson, Brandon Ashley, Aaron Gordon, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Stanley Johnson, um, Gabe York. I mean, it just, the list keeps going and, and, and we had a great group. And the one thing I'll say is they made my job as the point guard easy. Mm. I mean, it's when you have a group like that, um, the point guard's job, it becomes very, very easy and simple. And um, I'm thankful for, you know, all of them and even the guys that I didn't name who they know I played with them. Um, I appreciate everyone from top to bottom. Mm. I don't mean to keep going back to this, but was there a, was there a moment when you did level up there and, and that you just made this really tough decision? Uh, it felt right, but you felt like, I just love these rubber meets the road moments where it, it almost feels like you're on this very fine line of what did I just do? And I've got to now dig deeper and find another, uh, another gear. W was there that moment? I think it was the first time we played pickup um, mm. at Arizona. I kind of said to myself, you're, you're during this pickup session, you're going to have to play so hard and just play to exhaustion that just to show that you belong here. Like you can't be tired. You've got to get people the ball, shoot when you're open, be a pest on defense and just play to exhaustion. And I said, we, I will evaluate how it goes after that. And it went pretty damn well. And I said, well, I mean, you can't go back now. That's how you have to play 
for the, for the rest of your career. And it was one of those times where I, I was nervous going into it. Cause I didn't know how it was going to go, Yeah, but you're playing with these great players and you play incredibly hard. Um, and just see the game differently. It, it ended up, you know, kind of working well for me. And then from there I said, okay, I know I can play here. Just continue to stay in the gym and, and, pl- and play your butt off. Set the tone. Yeah, there's a game that uh, I watched a little bit. There's still some highlights around of some of these games and uh, hooray for YouTube, right? And I think it was um, against D'Angelo Russell who went on to be the second pick that next draft class uh, and Ohio State were pretty heavily favored in that matchup. But not only did you have 19 points and a a few assists and rebounds as well, but I think you had five steals and maybe held him to three field goals and then you know your team was able to advance to the Sweet 16. Can you remember that game? And if so, was that maybe a you know I'm marking this moment type of situation for you? Yeah, I mean I remember that well. Um, when you play against great players like that, you know I mean you don't forget um, you don't forget it because they're that good. And I'm just gonna you know say that it was a group effort, you know, trying to stop him and. Um, you know, he had an off shooting night and I just think, you know, guys like me and Rondé and a few others just tried to make it difficult. You know, you don't shut down great players unless they just kind of aren't making shots. Um, and you know, luckily he wasn't, he wasn't making a ton of shots, but he still affects the game in so many ways. He's a great player and he still does to this day. Um, I have a ton of respect for him, but, um, you know, it was a good marquee win for us to advance in the tournament and, you got to have some luck in the NCAA tournament with that stuff. Take us into the technical side. You keep saying you learned early at at some point, high school to college, and certainly probably before that, but that one of the ways you could really impact the game was to be a pest on defense and, and take us into, and somebody like D'Lo, who is, is a bigger guard. um, And, and how do you approach that? And what does that mean for you to be a pest defensively? How do you, how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it differed for me in college um, to the pros. I mean, in college, it was, you know, fighting over every ball screen, not giving him any airspace, you know, watching so much film to kind of see what he does in pick and roll situations mm. and, and, and making him work uh, as as much as I can and just tiring him out. You know, in, in, in the NBA, it's one of those things where I try to pick up full court when I can just to take seconds off the clock and make them work. And, you know, they get the ball over half court with, what 16 seconds left instead of 18 or 19 it's it's i think it's small things like that where um you know i kind of try to pick my battles and and work my butt off and like i said be a pest there yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah we had tony dorado on talking about how jason kidd was almost a a one-man full-court press in high school when he was coaching against him i think maybe they ended his squad ended up losing to jason's team two years in a row and they went on to to win the the state championship and so we've definitely heard from coaches as well how valuable that can be even if it isn't you know full court man to man and this heavy heavy five on five press but just that disruption maybe so when did when was the first time that you thought okay I'm going to be this pest this this disruptor was that back under your dad's tutelage in high school or even before that yeah, I mean, I think I've always had a knack for, you know, getting steals ever since I was little. I'm just mm. like reading passing lanes and stuff like that. But I feel like in high school, it kinda, I kind of took it to the next level and pressured guys and, and, and got into passing lanes. And 
um, you know, kind of gambled a little bit in high school and, and, you know, it, it paid off most of the time, but, you know, it, it has to be, you know, a calculated risk in, in college and especially, and especially the pros. Um, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I got to college and I, you know, we pressed at Duquesne. So I feel like that's where I kind of picked up that, you know, that full court pressure type stuff. And, but we were a great half court defense at Arizona. So I had to pull it back and, and find ways to be effective without, without, you know, doing a full court press. And, you know, so when I got to the NBA, um, I saw that not many guys pick up full court and, um, you know, just wanted to do something that, you know, try to stand out and, and, and keep myself on the floor. Well, you say it sort of in passing, yeah, when I got to the NBA, but it was, take us into that transition. First of all, how hard of a pill to swallow to see your college career come to an end? And then where was, how quickly did you transition into, okay, I'm, this is next up and here's what I'm going to do or, or what I'm going to make a run at? Yeah, I mean, it sucked, especially losing to Wisconsin, yeah. you know, back years it was it was really tough um because i feel like we had final four caliber teams both years um, right but, you know we ran into a great a great program in wisconsin they went to the back back-to-back final fours and was so well coached and they had such t- such great talent um you know it, it happens but you know it, it was a tough pill to swallow but i feel like once you know the season ended you know coach miller he was it's funny he was no one like with all the talent that we had in our team, I don't think anyone really saw me as an NBA player except for him. And wow. Uh, you know, he, we had conversations about it and he just, did you, had to, did you, well, I mean, what I mean, was that? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I didn't, I didn't, if that makes sense. Like yeah. I, I, I felt like if I got an opportunity, I, I would take advantage of it. Um, but that's not how it always works. I, I feel like, you know, that it's just right timing, yeah. right place, um, type deal. And, you know, I appreciate all him always b- believing in me. So I feel like once, you know, this, my career ended, I went to his office, we talked about it and then I started working out and I had, I mean, you were, you were in one of them. I had probably, I don't know. 17, 18, maybe more workouts, um, some teams twice. And it was, yeah, it was a grueling process. And then, you know, to not hear my name called, which I, you know, whole, wholeheartedly didn't expect to happen. I did not expect to get drafted. Um, you know, I, I went to the combine. I was, I paid my way there. They said, if someone cancels, you can, you're the last invite. And luckily you know, I got, <laughs> I got to Chicago and someone canceled and and then the rest is history from there. I, I, I played decently well in the combine is I just have these, these funny stories, you know, from the combine they're doing like uh wingspan and, and uh, you know, how big are your hands? And I'm like, I mean, no one's going to draft me because <laughs> of my negative wingspan. And I have, hands the signs of an infant like i i can we just get the, can we just get to the five on five stuff like that's where i will thrive like you don't need to test my vertical jump and all that stuff um right but you know after that and the one workout i that did stand out to me was philly and mm. you know as soon as as soon as the draft ended i i mean i might have been 30 seconds sam hinky and brett brown called and um invited me to training camp 
uh, playing some both summer leagues. We played in Utah and Vegas, and they we we they said they we uh, that we would like you to come to those and then come to training camp and you know try to win a spot. I mean, it was a long shot, but a great opportunity. Incredible. I, I thought you were going to say the one that stood out was the L.A. Lakers um, uh, draft, pre-draft test because the strength coach was just so on his game. Uh, but <laughs> He really was. I'll tell you that much. He really was. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I don't even remember seeing. I just saw a flash when you went that three-quarter court sprint that we still have a still shot photo. We don't have any video evidence, but it was fast. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, what, so, so what stood out for you? It sounds like the Philly one though, even in the moment felt like you, you nailed it in that, in that one. What was the, about that one that, that really stood out for you? Yeah. I mean, I just, honestly, I just played really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, connected with, you know, Sam Hinkie, his yeah. staff and, and, and Brett, you know, Brett's salt to the earth, um, mm. great, great human being. Um, and, you know, I connected with him right away and, um, didn't know, I mean, didn't know, you know, there's so many of those workouts, you probably have seen a ton of guys come in and out. You, oh, you just don't yeah. know where, where it's going to end up after that. And once I, once I talked to them and, you know, I talked to my agent, it was, it was the right time, you know, they were going through the process years and, um, you know, just trying to find, you know, those diamonds in the rough, just, you know, with those contracts and however many guys that they bring in and um, just thought, you know, with my situation, it was, it was the right time, right place. Well, we'll talk about the piece there that you just brought up because I, I think the, the draft is so heavily covered now. I mean, it's, but it's all about those things that you said that the, the sexy numbers of what's the player's wingspan, what's their vert, what's their, how, how big are their hands? So this guy's got off the charts, this or that, or the other thing. Um, but what you said there was you connected with the, the people that are in charge of that, the organization. Um, I don't think that a lot of people realize that there are, these instances in these moments outside of the measurements of the pre pre-draft testing where um, management coaches and people making decisions and then the players get a chance to actually sit and talk and potentially connect. Um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, not trying to toot my own horn. I'm, I'm just a good connector. You know, mm. I, can get, I can get along with people and um, you know, the thing, that I feel like is making a comeback now is, um, you know, there's obviously the knowns, uh, you know, the, the guys that you can't miss on in the draft. Um, I feel like what gets lost in the shuffle is the guys that affect winning, you know, Mm. the guys that you look in a stat sheet and you were like, yeah, maybe nothing jumps off the page to you, but you didn't see, a play that he made that a change completely changed the tone in the pace of the game. Um, mm. I feel like that's something that I bring to the table at a high level. And I feel like you're, you're starting to find more and more guys that do that now, which, you know, makes me really happy. Take, yeah. take us inside the, the summer league process a little bit for anyone that's not familiar with that, or certainly has never had a, an insider view. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like, I was home for a couple weeks after the draft and then I kind of just tried to get to Philadelphia and, and, and get to work. And, you know, we had like a mini training camp 
um, I, I, however many guys and, you know, Billy Lang, who's now the coach at, um, St. Joe's, uh, was our head coach. And we, we went to Salt Lake city played, I want to say three games out there. And then we were in Vegas for like a week and a half, which if anyone, if anyone knows being in Las Vegas for more than two or three days is just not ideal. Um, (laughs) so being there for a week and a half, you know, it was tough being away from, you know, my wife and, and, and my family. Um, but I was chasing my dream and just trying to, like I said, scratch and claw and do anything I can to make it. And, um, you know, we didn't, we, we didn't do particularly well in, um, you know, the Vegas or, um, Utah summer leagues, you know, we, we, we played, we played good, but you know, we didn't make the play. They didn't have a playoff in, in Utah and we didn't, I don't think we made the playoffs in, um, in Vegas, but it, it was just an experience to be able to kind of see guys, um, you know, the speed of the game and, and, you know, obviously you don't, you're not playing against, you know, the LeBrons of the world, but you know, these guys end up going on to be NBA players and, and you get a, you know, kind of some live action with that. Yeah. So this kind of brings us to the roughly the part in the timeline for you that Todd Wright brought up to us when we had him on the show. And um, he told the story about training camp. Uh, and I, I'm going to have you give it in more detail. I believe it was a, a ankle sprain late in training camp that was not ideal for you and your situation as you were scratching and clawing for a spot that may or not even the numbers were that people were doing math. I mean, there's only so many numbers on a roster, right? And you're doing math in your head. And it's, and this is the thing, again, people uh, from afar watching games on ESPN don't always realize what it takes to get one of those final spots. um, If that's where it stacks up for you. But uh, Todd, as he, you know, talked about is there was just something about you that had him pulling for you big time. And he was really bummed when he saw the ankle injury and, and just wasn't really feeling good about it. What was, take us into that from your perspective and, and kind of how, how you battled through that. Yeah, I I was super nervous. Um, it was the last day at training camp and it, and it just happened. Um, one of those things. And, um, luckily, you know, you know, they took me to, get an x-ray or whatever the next day and everything came back clean. And, you know, I was very thankful for that, but I was worried, you know, mm. cause ankle sprains can take a while to heal. And luckily mine wasn't too, too bad. Um, and you know, just kind of one of those things you're in a hotel room, you, you kind of go into these dark places. Like I hope, I mean, I hope this works out, you know, this is kind of out of my control. Um, but I got to play through it. Um, mm. you know, I, I don't have many opportunities opportunities or might not have another opportunity like this. So, you know, come back and ready, but you know, they held me out of the first game. Um, the first preseason game, they said, just kind of get that thing right. And again, I started to worry because I think there was only four or five, uh, preseason games and, you know, I'm trying to make the team and yeah, I told them I'm good to go. And, you know, it was one of those things where it could have been a blessing in disguise because, I think we lost by 40 that night and it was against John wall. And I don't think I, I mean, I, I 
I know I don't think I would not have been able to keep up with him with a sprained <laughs> ankle. With, um, with one ankle, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I barely am able to keep up with him with two. So um, <laughs> with one, I would have been pretty screwed. Uh, but it was one of those things where, you know, I'm thankful that they, they kind of did it because I, I was able to get it right. And then I played the next game and played really well. And my confidence got up and I played well again after that and just kind of took off from there. It was one of those things that it was just a blessing in disguise. Mm. Was it good to have someone on the staff like Todd rooting for you at that point and talk a little bit about how that relationship started to solidify um, from that point onward? Yeah, I mean that relationship with me and him is also like family um, to have someone in my corner like that. You know, I, I said, I, I, you know, watched what I ate and took care of my body, but it's kind of a joke when, when he kind of called me out and he's always telling me the truth. He doesn't tell me what I want to hear. That's what I love about him most. And it's like, he's like, you still eat like shit. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, you look like a truck driver. It's, <laughs> and um, you know, when I heard that, you know, I was pissed about it, but took it personal. <laughs> I, I took it personal and it was just like one of those things that kind of has like people don't realize how important dieting is and what mm. you're putting into your body. Um, you know, he was able to take my body to the next level with his knowledge of, you know, strength and conditioning, but also with dieting and stuff, he, he really set me on a track that kind of, I tried to separate myself with and, and I am to this day, um, we talk probably once a week or once every other week. It's, it's a relationship that I will cherish for the rest of my life. He's, he's, yeah. Talk about salt of the earth. I mean, he's, um, as a person, as a strength coach, somebody that I have, have, uh, always revered as I've known him and watched him and got to know him. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it is no surprise that, um, you have that relationship with, with somebody like that. And, and also that ties into what you said earlier is talk about the, your ability to be a connector, but his as well as elite, um, at, at that position at that level and what he does. And, and, um, many of them are good, but his is a different level. For sure. I mean, uh, especially in, with what he does. I mean, I think you're spot on. He is like top of the line connector, like great person. If you've ever met his family, his wife is amazing. His kids are, are amazing. It's just the family in general are just great, great people. And, um, you know, I'm just lucky to have met them. Yeah, no yeah, doubt. Sure. You mentioned someone else, um, who you described in pretty glowing terms in coach Brett Brown and talk to us about the moment when you get called into his office um, or if it was in another setting where he shares with you, Hey, um, you made the team, by the way, what was that like? Take us inside that, that pivotal moment. Yeah. So it was one of those things where we had practice. It was the last day of um, practice that day. And, you know, guys were getting called up to his office and, one by one. And I was like the last one. So I didn't see, and I didn't had not seen anyone, any of the other players. Um, so I was just insanely nervous. So I, you know, got the call to go upstairs and, you know, Brett is his sense of humor is, you know, funny, but in this moment, you know, I was, <laughs> so, I was serious, so serious that I, 
I just, I, I couldn't laugh. You know, he, <laughs> I come up and, and he's like, um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, cut you, but my assistant coaches, um, told me that you need to, you need to stay on. So you've made, the team. <laughs> it, was, it was, it was one of those where it was like, after you heard it, he's like, and he didn't see me laughing because I was so serious about it. And, and it was, it's funny now when you look back at it, but right. you know, he was like, congratulations, my friend, you know, you made, you're a part of the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, it was one of those things where the room started to like spin. I had to sit down. It was, Holy it was pretty, shit. it was, it was pretty special. Cause I did not think it was possible. Wow. I, I mean, I have to imagine what you had poured into that point. It just had to be sort of this cumulative moment of just everything. And, and um, like you said, I mean, there was never a question that in your mind or anybody's mind that you didn't pour it all out there. But um, even then the, the spots are, are so sparse and, and hard to even scratch or sniff or get close to that it was hard for you to believe it sounds like that there, there was, was going to be one for you, but um, okay. So you make the team and, and you've got to kind of regroup after the room stops spinning and, and, and be like, okay, yeah, I, I knew this was going to happen and, and let's, let's get to work. But uh, I mean, how, how, how did that go? Yeah. I mean, first I, I called my, my wife, um, my, my dad, my mom, you know, I, I haven't seen my, seen or heard my dad cry a whole lot. Mm. Um, and he was, you know, so choked up that he couldn't really say much and same with my mom and, and my wife. Um, it was just one of those things where it was just a very special moment between us three. Um, but I feel like that moment kind of, once I told them it ended pretty abruptly, cause I'm like, I'm not gonna get comfortable. I signed what was a four year non-guaranteed deal. So it was mm. not guaranteed every year, you know, so that means, you know, I have to make the team in training camp and then there's a cut date in in January that were, you know, contracts become fully guaranteed. So I had to make that and I did that for four years. So I said to myself, the moment I relax is the, is the moment I'll be done. So from here on out, you know, there's no relaxation. What are some of the things as you then uh, started to, get the lay of the land of, of what it's going to take to speak the language and, and be a, a native, if you will, in the NBA world that you're saying, okay, I'm going to have to zero in on this, this, what were, what were those things that you started to put together that certainly you're a regimented and dedicated and disciplined person and player all growing up and all throughout at all the levels, but this is now different animal. And lots of players that I saw just couldn't grasp that the, this is the difference between really good and pro. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of people to thank to get to where I'm at today, but there's one guy who was a player development coach for us. Who's now a scout for the Cavaliers. His name's Chris Babcock. We came in twice, maybe three times a night and we would play one-on-one -on -one full court you know, seven wow. game. And he's like, this is what, this is what it takes for a guy like you to stay in this league. You have to be in elite shape mm. and you're going to have to pick up full court because no one does it. 
and when you're in elite shape, you'll be able to do it. And, you know, when we get scored on, get the ball out and go. Push the pace and, and be that disruptor and, and a pest. And he took that pest that I am and, and kind of took it to the next level. You know, with me just having, he's like having a high motor is something that can really keep you in this league for a long time. How valuable to have a co-pilot who kind of had some of the the map and the the foresight to be able to share that. Then obviously it required you to soak that in and and just never let go of it. Because again, I will tell you right now, there are players that have had other people, staff, really good player development people who will pour themselves in and give them these breadcrumbs, but they just can't seem to pick up on them or to value them that way. So, I mean, to me, that credit goes both ways. That's, that's incredible. I appreciate it. Thank you. A lot has been written about and talked about those years of the process from an outsider standpoint, you know, some of it positive, some of it not so positive, kind of give us your your insight of view of, of those years uh, from just a team standpoint and, and what you saw from being a part of the organization then yeah i mean it it wasn't positive for you know the wins and losses column um we won 10 games my rookie year um but just from you know a team building standpoint brett brown like the culture he created um not many people could have done it better. I know we didn't win a lot, but the culture that he created and what we were building, you know, I feel like we went from 10 wins to 26 wins the next year. And then after that, we won 50 games back to back after that. And he was a massive part of that, you know, just with the culture that he built, built with us and within the organization, um, you know, just with the people, you know, it was, it was one of those things that, you know, when you look back on, you just appreciate, you know, from where you started to where it's at now um, and the people that had a hand in on that. What were a couple of hallmarks of the, of that culture that he created or a couple of the, the key values that he really tried to instill from, from the bottom up and from the top down? I think it was one of those things where, you know, I think it was once a month he would have someone do like, not necessarily a, like a report, but it was something that you're interested in do like a PowerPoint and tell us about it. And, um, you know, there would be PowerPoint slides and you could do absolutely anything you wanted to. And I just thought it was interesting to, you know, you kind of get to see other sides of people and what they're interested in outside of the game and, um, and see what, you know, what, 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 like I said, what people are, are doing and interested in. And, you know, you kind of, the first one, we're like, you know, what is this? And then you're like, this is real, this is pretty damn cool um, and a pretty good idea. And I know, I think he got that from his time being in San Antonio. Mm. Mm. What did you present on? I'm a big coffee drinker. So I kind of, I kind of just um, did, did my, did my report on, you know, the effects of coffee and um, you know, the health benefits, you know, what, you know, people are, you're drinking coffee wise, you know, the bad stuff that's going into it, how beneficial it could be, you know, when you drink it and take a nap directly after, mm. um, you know, it's, it's, 
stuff like that where I just kind of research it because I have a I have about two cups of coffee every day, so I'm I just love it. Fantastic! Don't get TD started on this. You want to tell them about your little <laughs> travel kit here, TD with the Lakers, <laughs> and how you got I, I, everyone hooked. Yeah, I was known to travel with a uh, French press or two, and and uh, visiting team players and coaches would sneak into our locker room to get it pregame and whatnot. Five pounds of, uh, you know, on a, on a two week road trip, five pounds of uh, ground French uh, ground ground uh, already pre ground but ready to French press. So, you know, I I, I think we I think we would have hit it off. You know, even though we had a quick little pre draft test, we we probably would have hit it off just over the French press. I wish I would have known that when I came in for my pre-draft. I'd have, <laughs> I know. I'd have, we'd have a nice cup of coffee. I would have hooked you up, Adopio, <laughs> whatever you need. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Oh, man, that's uh, that's great. Um, so in terms of if we go to now, it sounds like it, it, within that period, as you said, you knew you're not going to be able to rest from this moment. It's not just I made it and I'm here. Uh, however, if if this is fair to say, you are at a different stage and chapter of your NBA career now. You're you're with a different team. You're with the Indiana Pacers, and you you have a bit of a, a foothold, a reputation for what you're known for and, and, and a uh, role that you now fill and people expect you to do and your teammates and your organization expect you to be there for and you serve it. Um, that's a different place than, I don't know, every year I'm going to have to scratch, claw, and see if I make the team again. Um, what, what, do you, what do you feel like uh, in terms of now that means for you in terms of how you – how does that change you in terms of your day to day and, or um, how do you then turn that to pay it back to other players coming up and, and maybe in similar positions? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going in, you know, two or three times a night cause you know, I have a son now and mm-hmm. I'm trying to spend as much time with him and my wife as I possibly can. Um, but my mindset when I'm playing never changes, you know, when I'm yeah. at practice and when I'm in the game, um, you know, in practice and stuff like that, I'm getting my work in. Like I, I have this mentality where just scratch and claw and go 110%. Um, and I, I said to myself, once I stop having that mindset in practice and games where it's like, okay, I got to relax here and stuff like that. I think it's time for me to, you know, kind of hang it up. And, um, you know, when I see something with younger guys, I just try to, you know, whatever I see, I, I just try to help them, you know, whether it be like, you know, this guy's kind of shaky with the ball. You can pick him up full court, try to stand out here, um, you know, in, in, in pick and roll scenarios. It's just anything I can do to help, you know, no matter who it is, I try to do that because I've had some pretty good vets as well. Yeah. Who were some of those veteran players coming in just to rewind back to the, the Sixers days who, again, kind of shepherded you along the way a little bit guided you gave you some of that savvy and some insider info maybe as well yeah I mean my first two vets I mean I was I was one of the oldest guys in the team my rookie year um and you know Gerald Henderson you know Jared Bayless and uh JJ Redick are the three that that really stand out um we had Carl Landry my rookie year who who really really helped me Mm. um but you know, I would say, you know, those four were the guys, especially Jared Bayless and JJ Redick. They really took me under their wing and kind of showed me the way. And, you know, I'm really, really grateful for them. 
Yeah, that's that's so helpful to have. And I think some players take it more seriously and or um, just want to pay it back more than others. But um, it, it's just I, I I do think there's this outside view that a player goes from a really high-level, elite, well-known school like Arizona, and then they're just then at the league. They kind of grasp their craft at that point. But I, I often see, and I, I'd be curious your take, is there's sort of like this three-year figure-it-out period for for players where it actually is a, a much steeper learning curve than they realize often, even if they truly did excel at, at, at college level. And, and, and it can just sort of take a little time, but to have that vet there that is like giving you these little, I've been there, done that pointers is it could be really valuable. I have to imagine as a player. For sure. I mean, and there are guys, you know, that come in and hit the ground running from college and it's, and it's pretty impressive, but there That's are right. guys where it takes a little bit of time and yeah, I mean, it happens like it's, I, I, it's, a, I know it's a results based business, but sometimes it just takes more than a year or two to, yeah. for a guy to, to, to just be okay with it and, and, and have, and realize who he is on the floor. But if you're trying to figure that out alone, it's going to be really hard and I'm not sure you're going to make it. Right. Um, so that's why I think those vets are important when you're trying to find your way and, and figure it out because, you know, as an undrafted guy or a two-way guy or people that don't have the opportunity of, you know, first round picks and, and draft picks, having vets to kind of show you the way, you know, when you get that opportunity, you're ready. And yeah. that's why I think those vets are so important. Yeah, absolutely. Is it true that um, you the wallpaper or background on your phone used to, to have the words prove people wrong? That, that is true. Um, I've kind of, you know, toned it back a bit and it's a picture of my, my wife and son. Um, but you know, the first picture in my phone is, is still that. And, um, Mm. and then the second picture, I'm going to give a shout out to, uh, the athletic trainer for the Philadelphia 76ers and, um, Kevin Johnson, calm KJ. Um, I'll never forget it. We were walking into Utah for the summer league and, he sends me this picture of someone kicking down a door and he goes, when you're at the door of opportunity, don't knock, kick the MF or in. And I'll never forget that for as long as I live. It was a tone setter for me for the rest of my career. Wow. That's uh man. I'm going to, that's going to take me a little extra to, to fall asleep tonight. Cause I'm going to be ready to uh, kick the door in myself. It's, it's, I love it's a- that. I have the picture of, of the guy of a, you know, he sent me a picture of someone kicking open a door and you know, it was, like I said, I wanted to run through a wall. Oh man, that is good stuff. Uh, speaking of your son, your wife and, and your, your family and and your time, I want to respect it. And I can't thank you enough for making the time for us, for sharing this. I think, Phil and I could sit here for another three hours, but um, you're in the midst of some crazy road trips and um, squeezing in that family time. And we want to get you as much as you can for that. Uh, There is one final last question, the famous final last question. Um, This is the basketball strong podcast. And the question is, and you can answer this in either technical terms or from the gut, from the heart, in more emotional state of, of answer, but uh, what does it mean to you to be basketball strong? Well, 
Um, I don't know. I, I feel like when I hear the word basketball strong, um, it's all about the love for the game. Mm. Um, and, and that, and the game has been so good to me and, and I hold it near and dear to my heart. So to be basketball strong is to take the highs, but the lows and to not waver, um, with the love of the game because it's, because it's good to a lot of us. Said perfectly. Lock in the lock it in the vault, Phil. It's in there and it's locked. <laughs> TJ, uh, so good. I, I it just uh, we, we, I've got notes here and and uh, I'm just going to picture kicking in the kicking in the MFR. I love it. I mean, he 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 said the entire word, but I didn't want to get. It. I, didn't say it. I didn't want to say it on the pod, but I appreciate you guys. A pros, pro, all, all in all, through through and through, uh, just incredible. And uh, if people want to follow along, are you are you active on social and, and do any do anything in in that space at all, or or where where can people kind of follow along and and hear more about the things you're doing on off the court? Yeah, I'm, I don't. I don't really uh, mess around with Twitter. Um, yeah. I haven't been that for quite some time, but I do have an Instagram that people can follow. I'm not. I'm not like totally on it every day. You know, I'll post. I'll post yeah. some stuff here and there, but um, I'm. I'm decently active on it, so people can go give a follow if they want. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, Instagram is my social media. Got it. And then, uh, do you, do you want to do any, uh, uh, shameless plug on the, uh, the wine hobby that's going on there that I observed there? Is that, is that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, you can blame JJ Reddick for that one. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you, uh, I mean, he's made about a hundred million dollars in his career and he introduced me to this wine called Burgundy, which is, was almost unapproachable for, for most of the world, um, price wise. And, you know, it made me fall in love with wine and I just started posting about it. But, um, you know, he's, he's bringing me bottles that I just can't buy on a daily basis. <laughs> I could, I couldn't buy on a daily basis and, you know, just appreciative of him. Like I said, those vets that on the court, you know, they helped you, but off the court, you know, I, I found a passion that I truly, you know, found so interesting. And it was because of him. Um, and you know, we still have wine, um, when he lives in New York, we, when I go to New York, we still have wine together and, um, try to see his family. And it's, it's, it's pretty special. Well, okay. So then it's just teed up part two is going to be coffee, wine, a, a two, a two, uh, topic part two. It's, it's coming in hot. So have your stuff ready. No, we'll we'll do this. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a, have a nice cup of Joe and then, you know, know, rinse, uh, rinse out with some water and then we'll pour some vino. Yes. Okay. Sign it up. Sign it up. Thanks, TJ. This is incredible. Of course, man. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, and we hope you did, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen to podcasts on. And so you never miss a weekly episode, be sure to subscribe and follow. You can find previous episodes on our show website, That's www.basketballstrongpodcast.com. For more basketball performance resources and nagging injury solutions, follow me on Instagram at TDAthletesEdge and follow Phil at PhilWhiteBooks. Until next week's episode, stay basketball strong.